Mm, amen. Well, man, I'm super glad that we still get to spend time connecting like this over the course of a week. My name is Tim Griesbach, and I am one of our preaching pastors and our technical director here at Crossroads, which means I'm ultimately responsible for all the audio, video, and lighting stuff that's going on. And if you can imagine, uh, that stuff has had a little bit of an uptick over the last, you know, five weeks or so as we've been engaging in this weird uh, COVID-19 era together. Man, um, and I just want to set something straight real quick. I think I've heard a couple people say uh, that, oh man, Tim is holding all of the stuff together. Like it's great. And I just, that is absolutely not the case. Like I'm playing my role without a doubt, but there is no way I could ever like run all of the cameras and push all of the sound faders and make all the lights right. And like, no, and the lyrics and the videos and it, there's just so much going on here. And really it's because we have an incredible team at Crossroads Church, the tech team who has put in a ton of extra effort in this season, making sure that we're still able to connect on the weekends like this. So, man, huge shout out to those men and women. Uh, they are amazing, and I am beyond grateful uh, that we get to just spend this kind of time together and serving you together with love. Well, being on the preaching team, man, this has also been a pretty interesting season. So like five weeks ago or so, Matt, Chris, and I sat down and we said, what should this look like? like this season is unprecedented. We don't exactly have uh, a time that we can look at within our own lives. And we say, oh yeah, this is really similar to that. Uh, I mean, we're at home, quarantined in a weird kind of very odd way. I mean, the whole world is literally thinking about the same thing. So we decided to pivot away from what we were planning on talking about. And instead, we've put together a couple short series to really address some of these very issues that uh, we're dealing with like never before, which is why right now we're dealing with this series, which we've called The Quarantined, because so many of us are stuck in our homes and some, like I've got some close friends within my small group who have been at home basically for weeks where they leave like if they need groceries and that's basically it. Uh, and so, man, within this season, we've just seen so many things, I think, that we've probably taken for granted in the past slowly be taken away from us or become very scarce, very hard to find and access. I mean, in my life, one of those things, it's a little bit weird, but like for me, sushi is a part of my weekly ritual. Usually on a Saturday night, Christy and I, after church at Thornton, would swing by a little place in Brighton and pick up some sushi and take it home and enjoy it. And I've discovered recently that uh, living in a landlocked state uh, during a, uh, you know, global quarantine thing is really not good for being able to get sushi. Like the places I'd normally go to, uh, they're not even open. I call and it just rings and it's like, oh man. Another thing that is weird that we've found to be scarce has been toilet paper. How many of you guys have struggled to find toilet paper at some point throughout this season? right? It's bizarre. Like, I never would have thought that that would be what I'm looking for and can't find. But seriously, for like the first three weeks, we would go around and visit different kinds of grocery stores or places just looking for toilet paper and coming up dry. In fact, finally, Christy found our first four pack. It was this tiny little thing, and they said you can only have one each. And so it's like, okay, well, this is better than nothing for sure. Um, although since then, I think Christy and I may have like reconsidered because this four pack, we should have been suspicious about it right from the get-go. On its packaging, it said four rolls equals four weeks. And I'm like, 
four weeks of what? Like that doesn't make any kind of sense at all. But I realized since then that it was just mislabeled. This stuff wasn't supposed to be toilet paper. I believe that it was truly a failed prototype for dissolvable sandpaper. Like that's the quality of what we experienced. And I'll let you use your imagination to figure out how we came to that conclusion. You know, there's weird things that we've had to go without that are hard to find, but some of those aren't actually weird and they're kind of more close to our hearts. Like, honestly, for me, this is not sufficient. Like, I hate the fact that I don't get to see you over the course of this weekend. I love getting to come to church and high-five people and give people hugs, to be in close proximity with people that I know, that I can encourage, that can encourage me. I really, really enjoy being in community with people. And in this season, we've found that community has become a scarcity, that it's hard to come by real connection with other humans. One evidence of this is an article that got put out by the New York Times. Uh, They did an article on this weird uh, telecommunications phenomenon that we've experienced where wireless phone calls are going up like crazy. Like, we all probably would have expected the internet usage has increased during the season, right? But phone calls have increased, like, to crazy degrees. So right now, on a normal day, we're getting around 800 million wireless phone calls a day that are happening within, within our society. Now, to give you some framework, like context, in previous years, we would see about half of that on a Mother's Day which is usually like one of the highest call volume days in the year. So like right now, every day is basically double uh, Mother's Day. And it's, I think, because inside of us, we have such a craving, such a desire for community that, man, we will pick up the phone. We're saying like texting is not enough. It's not enough just to get words from you. I need to hear your voice. You know, we've got FaceTime and Google Hangouts and Zoom, and it's like, I want to be able to see your face. I want to be able to engage with you. Have you ever wondered why we have such an incredible desire and craving for community in our lives? I think it goes all the way back to why and how God made us in the first place. So I want to show you this uh, in Genesis chapter 1. It's really exciting to me. This is a, a key passage when it comes to understanding purpose in life and understanding how God did what he did and why he did what he did. And it has a lot to say for us today when it comes to our desire for experiencing real community. So verses 26 and 27 in chapter one, I'm gonna read them and I'll show you a couple things here that I think are gonna help us today. In verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The first thing I want to point out within this passage that helps us when it comes to understanding why we have such a deep craving for community is the word us. 
and the words our. I don't know if you picked up on those. If this is the first time you've read this passage, you're probably like, what is going on here? Is God talking to somebody else? Like who else is even there? And God's not talking to anybody else. This is actually a beautiful pointer when it says, let us make man in our image. We're getting a little bit of a window into a truth that we see all throughout scripture, which is that there is community that exists within God himself. That there's this kind of crazy paradox that we understand within Scripture that God is one, and at the same time, somehow, He's also three persons. That you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that make up this one triune God. That's why we, we talk about it as the Trinity. And right there, we see that even before God made everything else that we would call creation or the universe, that God existed eternally before that in perfect community within himself. It was like the Father and the Son and the Spirit hanging out and spending time together, even though time probably wasn't maybe a construct at that point. But that God was with himself in a way that was perfect, in a way that was pleasing, in a way that was community. And we see that the, he then puts that in us. That God craves community. He desires and delights in that. And so we do as well. And we see that because we were made in God's image, right? So God created man in his own image. Now, I'm not sure if you've given this much thought before, but this is such a helpful concept to understand what's going on on this planet. <laughs> because being made in the image of God means that we were put here not only to experience God, to know him and to experience his love, but we were also put here to reflect the character of God within creation. What an incredible responsibility and a privilege that we would get to point back to God constantly in our lives and be like, this is what God is like. But you know, Adam and Eve, right from the get-go, they got it pretty wrong when they decided instead of reflecting what God's like, decided, ah, I'm going to be more about me. And as sin entered the world, we saw that it caused us to look more and more nothing like God. <laughs> that when we lie, we're, not, we're basically pointing and saying, God is like a liar. You know, that's, that's what he's like. And we're acting as very poor reflections of who God is. The same goes when we steal, when we kill. We're like acting like reflectors saying, this is what God is like. And God looks at that and goes, no, that's, that's not what I'm like at all. I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm, I'm full of love. And so this sin caused a separation in our existence with God. That Now we don't get to be with him. We don't get to experience him in the same kind of way. And yet we still carry this being made in his image. And so there's still this lingering craving inside of every single one of us for true community. Now, what does this community look like? Like, what would be a snapshot of this kind of community that does actually accurately reflect the character of God? Thankfully, one of the disciples of Jesus, who spent lots of time with him, wrote about this very thing in one of the letters that we call, within the Bible, First Peter. The author's name, as you may guess, was Peter. And he wrote about this, and, and uh, I think it's going to help us right now, especially in this season, to be able to better understand what's going on within me, within this desire for community, and where should I like aim that desire? Like, What kind of community should I be reaching out to have? What should I expect? What should I aim at? What should I desire? 
What does that community that really reflects God, what does that look like? And so let's spend a few minutes and look at this together. And I, my prayer is that it, it challenges us and I hope inspires us to be able to look more and more like God in our community and to get to experience living life in light of the purpose in which we were made to live. So check this out. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11 in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. I'll read it and then we'll take a look at it together. It says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a great snapshot for helping us understand what this God-honoring community looks like. And right off the bat, we see that it's a community based on love. That it's a putting each other first type of community. Right off the bat, you see that. Above all, above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly. And then he doesn't just leave it there. And I'm so thankful that the writers continue writing beyond where they could have stopped. Because I hear that and go, man, okay, so what, how, how might I do that? Is there a specific way that that might be applied? And he makes that very clear here, and he uses an image that I think is so helpful and honestly a little bit challenging because many of us probably haven't used this image in, in viewing ourselves before. So check this out. How do we love one another earnestly? By acting as good stewards of God's varied grace. Have you ever considered yourself to be a steward of God's grace? Like a steward is someone who's put in a position of being responsible for managing someone else's assets, right? So like you might have a steward of your money so that they can spend your money in your best interest, according to your plans, according to your purposes. But this talks about not just being a steward of resources, but being a steward of God's grace, and don't let the word grace hang you up there. Grace is just goodness that you don't deserve and couldn't possibly earn, right? It's not something that you, you earn. Like I earn a paycheck, right? You earn paychecks or you earn different kinds of things in life. This isn't that. Grace is not that. Grace is the goodness that you go, wow, I couldn't possibly deserve this. And I did nothing to earn it. And we talk a lot around, a lot around here about how God gives us grace. We experience grace from God. But did you know that God has grace for you that he's actually given to others? And that God is giving you grace in order that you might give that to others. This is an incredible thing. That once we begin to think about this really, I think it begins to expand our understanding of what this community within the family of God, what that looks like. You see, God could have done it any kind of way he wanted, right? He could have made himself the single, singular, central node for all of the dispensing of grace ever anywhere, right? Like all of us could have had to go to God directly to get any kind of grace in life at all. 
But because, again, God, this triune God, this God within whom is perfect community, designed us to live uh, lives that reflect who he is, he placed in us this desire for community, and then he decided, yeah, this is how I'm going to dispense grace. I'm actually going to give a little bit to you directly, but then I'm also going to give you more through the other people, and I'm going to create this network, this web of grace-giving. Have you ever considered that you are a steward of God's grace for other people? What an incredible thing. Like, again, both challenging and a little bit uh, inspiring in my mind. Like, we get to be invited into this process. And we discover that the outcome of this is glory being given back to God, specifically to Jesus Christ. Now, this is a little bit weird. When, when I read this first here, I'm like, wait a second. How is that supposed to work, right? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, so God is giving me grace so that I would steward it well for the sake of these other people. And somehow, that whole interaction ends up giving glory to Jesus? <laughs> like, what's up with that? I think there's another image within Scripture that really helps us understand what's going on there and why Jesus gets the glory. And it's the image used in Romans. It's the image used in 1 Corinthians. And it's the image we call the body of Christ. That these different writers, Paul and some of the others, explain it like this. They basically say, you people of God are like the body of Christ, where Christ is the head and you are the various body parts. And that we are to listen to the head and, and accomplish his will. And, and, and we're to be content with the uh, part that we play within that body. So I want you to pause real quick. Well, don't actually pause, but do something for me real quick, okay? If you're sitting there, if you've got like a cup nearby, reach out and take hold of it and take a drink out of it real quick. You know, move your body around. Maybe just extend your arm or, or flex your muscles if you're a little kid, like just yeah, really awesome, right? Like, but move your body around a little bit. How did you do that? You didn't like have this huge planning meeting with your whole body and all of the different muscles and the joints and the nerves and all of that and be like, all right, you guys now do this part and stabilize this part of my body while I reach out and I accomplish this thing over here and then balance the cup really carefully as I bring it over. Now, now don't grip it too tightly, fingers, otherwise we could like spill it and get all jittery and stuff. Like, no, that'd be nonsense, right? None of us would ever get anything done if that's how it worked. The reason you didn't have to think about any of that kind of stuff is because your body is the manifestation of your will and intention in life. Your body is the manifestation of your will. When you want to do something, if it's within your capacity, you can just reach out and do it. I can just reach out and pick up my Bible. I can set it back down. I can stand up. I can move around. Like We have the ability to manifest our will and our intention in this world, and that happens through our body. And the reason that Jesus gets glory when we act as good stewards, when we take this grace from God and we extend it to these other people, is because we are acting rightly as the manifestation of His will. That we are listening to Him as he just instinctively reaches out and says, okay, I'm going to give grace to this person now. Okay, I'm going to give grace over here. I'm going to bring encouragement here. I'm going to help them shore up this gap in their lives by providing service here. 
how amazing that we get to be invited in to partaking with God in accomplishing his will here on earth. And if you're thinking like, well, that is, that is scary. Where do I even begin trying to wrap my head around how that's supposed to work in my life? It's, it's not as complicated as you might think. And really, for the sake of this next week, I've got like two questions that I want you to be asking every single day when you wake up. Before you pick up your phone, looking at email or social media, before even you make your coffee, ask these questions. Begin to build rhythms during this season where you start thinking like this. The first question goes like this. They're both directed to God. The first question is, God, what grace have you given me for the sake of others today? What grace have you given me for the sake of others? If you're a young married man, this is a great question to ask. Like, and, and contextualize it. Like, God, what grace have you given me for my wife today? Because there's a scary reality, right? Like, God very well may have given you grace for her that if you don't actually get it to her, she doesn't get to experience it. And I, I can't even hardly like process that. Like I want my wife, Christy, to experience all the grace that God has for her from every single possible source. I don't want to be the reason that she's missing out on even a drop of it. So begin asking this question, God, what grace have you given me for the sake of others? Whether it's my spouse or whether it's my kids or whether it's my neighbors or whether it's the people that I still work with, whatever that looks like for you, like what grace have you given me for the sake of others? And then the second question I want you to ask is really the flip side of that. It's, God, what grace have you given others for me today? See, I think for me of the two questions, that's the harder one. Because there's something in me that just wants to be self-reliant. That no matter what circumstances I find myself in, I want to kind of just get through on my own. I don't want to have to rely on other people. I don't want to have to need other people. And so this is going to be a challenge for me this week as I ask God, God, what grace have you given others for me? Because I don't want to miss out. And I don't want you to miss out because God has grace for you. Like if you find yourself right now to be in a season of depression, God has grace for you. And I bet some of that grace is to come from other people. If you find yourself just addicted to different kinds of substances, maybe it's drugs or alcohol or or pornography, there's so many options out there these days, right? To where we can find addiction. These things that are hollow promises of joy. That if you find yourself there, I want you to know that God has grace for you. And I bet a lot of that is through other people through other people within the family of God. Because when, when you get to receive that grace, then we collectively get to look a little bit more like our king, like our creator, and like our Lord. And I just think to myself, like, what would it look like if we actually all started doing this on a regular basis? 
Like not just right now in this COVID-19 crisis, right? But what would happen if even out of this season, we had built up the habits where we daily ask these two questions, God, what grace have you given me for others? And what grace have you given others for me? Where we begin to see ourselves really as stewards of this incredible goodness from God. What kind of a difference would that make within our families, within our neighborhoods, within our places of employment? What difference could that possibly make? What would our worlds look like if we actually got to experience and the people around us got to experience the fullness of the grace available? My prayer is that we would get to see that happen, that we would get out of this season way stronger, way more loving with each other than we entered into it. And that we would look back at this season and say, Man, I can't say that everything that happened there was good. Not even close. But I'm so thankful because God used that season to do some amazing things in my life, in my heart. I started to become a loving husband, a loving father. I became a loving friend to these people around me. I began to take it seriously. I began to rejoice and get to experience delight as I saw them experience this God and I got to be a part of it. Oh, that God would do this in us, I pray. Lastly, I I recognize that I'm guessing some of you probably hear me talk about some of this stuff, like the family of God, and think, okay, that's, I'm not even there, man. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but it sounds good. How do I get to join this family? And I say to you as well that grace, God has grace for you. That while our sin separated us from being with God, from experiencing life as he had planned, that he then made a way for us to be rescued from that state of being. That he sent Jesus, his son, who lived perfectly and died on the cross so that when we look to him in faith, when we trust in him, that his death really does cover our sins, that we do experience forgiveness through him, that we do, and that we're brought in to the family and that his resurrection from the dead three days later becomes a source of hope for us that all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And so it just comes down to acknowledging Jesus as your Savior, the access for you for forgiveness to be made right with God, and as Lord. You say like, Jesus, you get to be king of my life now. I'm going to follow you. You get to call the shots. And I want to invite you right now to make those acknowledgements and make that decision to say, I'll follow Jesus. I'll acknowledge my desperate need for forgiveness and that he did it on the cross. And I will live with him and for him as my king. And man, if you want to make that decision right now and are making that decision this weekend, we don't want you to go it alone, right? Community, it's a big deal. And so we would love to invite you to text Jesus to this number right now in order that we might reach out and connect with you because this next month is going to be a big deal for you as you begin to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus day after day after day and experience life as God had planned for you now and all into eternity. And so as we close now, I just want to pray for you all that God would bless you and that he would keep you close. So let's let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I know that every single person watching right now, Lord, that it's not an accident that you have grace for them 
And so I pray, Father, that you would make it accessible to them. Let them feel that reality that you love them so, so much, that you have so much planned for them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to begin experiencing the grace that you have for us from you and from you through each other. I pray, Lord, that as people come to trust Jesus for the very first time today, that you would let them know the moment that they trust that they are yours, that they are now one of your children, that they are brought into your family. And I pray that you would help us, Crossroads Church, Lord, help us to be a good community that accurately reflects just how amazing you are here in our families, in our neighborhoods. We pray this, Lord, in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining